Canucks fans, and welcome in. It's episode 58 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, I, I know our Twitter account, whoever is in charge of that, saying that we're officially sponsored by Cheetos and Dalmore Whiskey and Tourism Tofino. I mean, I, if, if we are getting sponsored by any of those people, that'd be fantastic. But I believe it's just a cunning ruse and poking fun of our, our new division names in the NHL. Yeah, it's pretty funny, actually, the division names there. I actually thought it was a joke when I saw it this morning. The North, the Honda West Division, I think it is, or something like that. Uh, I literally thought it was a joke, uh, and then it turns out it was actually a real thing that the NHL did, which, you know what, good on them. They're trying to be creative with uh, uh, with some marketing and a way to earn some more revenue for the owners, and uh, clearly we're uh, trending in that direction too. Uh, I'm really hyped about the Delmore um, thing we've got going here. Man, if, if we did have sponsors, those would be some good ones, though. I'd, I'd take those. Dalmore's uh, my, my Christmas time whiskey. I always get a bottle of it around. It's just such a, I don't know, it's just one of those things. I like the bottle as well. It's a nice, smooth whiskey. So that would that would have been a good one. Does the, the whole division name thing, does that, it doesn't sound like it bothers you at all. I know some people are like, oh, it's, it's sellout-y. We're in the Scotian North. Um, but does it bother you at all? No, I'm fine with it. Like, I understand. I mean, if this is a way for the cap to go up in the next year or two, as opposed to what Gary Bettman had originally said of a flat cap for the next three years, I'm okay with it. I mean, I it is what it is. Like, the the, the divisions used to have the Campbell's Conference and the Whale, Wales Conference, and, you know, the division names have changed. I mean, you got the Metropolitan Division, which seems kind of weird, especially since there used to be a team called the Metropolitans. Um, yes. That's true, just down the road in Seattle there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so for me, I don't have an issue with it. I know some people, there's going to be ads on the helmets this year as well, which some people are kind of up in arms about. And I get it, like, you know, you don't want to see the advertising, you know, make its way into the game like it is in, like, European hockey or European soccer, for that matter. I mean, you look at European soccer, the teams don't even have their logos on the front of their jersey. Uh, it's, it's usually like, what is it? Manchester now is the Chevrolet or at least that was the Chevrolet, uh, logo on the front of the Man Mm -hmm. United jerseys for a few years. And before that it was like AIG, which I believe is like a bank in America or something like that. Well, yeah. And you don't even need to go across the pond for that. Just look at the Bell Whitecaps that we have here in Vancouver. That's a good point, actually. That's that's my whole thing with, uh, why I never bought a Whitecaps jersey. I just bought the Whitecaps t-shirt because I'm like, you know, I'd rather, I just, have the logo on it. I don't need a big bell right across my chest. I mean, it's it's been talked about for years, and I think you're going to start seeing it more and more in North American sports, probably not as obnoxiously as it is in, in Europe. And sorry if I'm offending any Europeans with it, but the advertising on jerseys there is too much, in my opinion, right? It takes away from the overall, just kind of the beauty of the jersey. I mean, you can do little subtle product placements in it and i think it was reebok when they had the jerseys there's a little reebok emblem on the back of the jerseys in the nhl you can do it subtly and i get that and i get the uh, revenue and and especially from an owner's perspective right now i mean you're losing all the skate revenue right now you got to claw back anything you can and like you said doug if it allows the cap to go up that's gonna make a lot of fans happy around the nhl yeah i, I agree especially right now you've got a lot of younger players across the league the canucks Obviously, you know, aren't in a great position with their cap issues, but there are a lot of other teams that have young players. I mean, you look at Dubois only signing a two-year bridge deal in Columbus. Barzell is officially a holdout in the Islanders camp. These young players, before you be able to get, you know, them on a relatively cheap deal after their entry-level contracts, but the players have just gotten so much better at a younger age that, you know, they're commanding huge ticket contracts right out of their entry-level deals and it's really skewing a lot of teams kind of like cap structures and you're having to commit so much money earlier to players where before you could usually get a three or four year contract in before you had to give a guy 10 you know between nine ten million dollars right out of the gate uh so i think trying to get that uh that flat cap up over the next couple years is going to be key and yeah man i mean even you know not to bore people with your and I's job, but there are a lot of people, you know, we're even doing things that we normally wouldn't do at our work to try to generate new ways to get revenue and stuff like that. So I understand that. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and also just uh, with the young guys and 
high contracts. We're going to be seeing that next summer here in Vancouver when we have four RFAs up, including our two best players. So we're going to see how guys go from the minimum entry-level deal to a very high contract very quickly. And I know that that's also something with this year that the Canucks are having to grapple with, with a lot of this dead cap space. I mean, we, we all know that to death, and I, I don't even want to get into that today, but we know that the, the cap and not going up, that's what cost Foley his job here in Vancouver as well. And it's a, it's a tricky situation Vancouver has, but you are right about the, the way that it's structured. I mean, these guys go from, I mean, we say small, like, what, $900,000 contracts to $10 million contracts. That's, you're, that's the raise you're looking at with PD and probably Hughes as well coming up here. Yeah, it's going to be interesting offseason for the Canucks. But, you know, thankfully the, the season is just starting. So that's kind of a late spring, early summer problem for Canucks fans to worry about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you about this uh, hockey pool that you and a whole bunch of other people got going. You, you drafted a team uh, under the Canucks speakeasy radar. So I, I guess, you know, I'd like to think I'm a, a scout or a consultant or something with this, but I know you're the GM and running the show here. Yeah. So uh, credit to the guys over at uh, the Point Shot podcast. Uh, they kind of set it up uh, with a few other Canucks podcasts out there. I know the Avid Discussers podcast is one of them. And there's, a, I believe, a couple of guys from the Larsh cast as well that are in the pool. And uh, yeah, so it's a 12. Oh, and a couple of the girls from the Broads cast as well. It's a 12-team league. And um, yeah, they didn't set the draft order till half an hour prior to the draft happening. Uh, I ended up with the first overall pick, which is great. So I remember I messaged you right when I found out where I was picking. I was, I was debating, you know, between McKinnon and McDavid. One of the reasons why I was leaning towards McKinnon is because he's obviously in a weaker division. At least in my opinion, he's in a weaker division than uh, the North Division. Um, pardon me, the Scotia North Division. That being said, <laughs> uh, that being said, uh, I, I did go with my gut and uh, I did go with uh, McDavid. And yeah, it's a fun way to kind of bring the community together. Um, and it's cool. You got a couple of different podcasts, like I said, that are involved. So maybe, you know, step... Uh, stem up a good fun rivalry between podcasts yeah that's uh, that's a great idea i know you're pushing for something like that so i hope you do the team proud and if you need any consulting and like i i did say as well mcdavid over mckinnon that's a tough one i mean really it's a coin flip uh both those guys are gonna produce but uh, i'm excited to see you have any canucks on the team i can't remember uh yeah i i grabbed uh, brock besser uh he was one of the canucks i was able uh, of to snag yeah of course <laughs> that's your boy Brock that's your favorite Canuck it is it is uh so yeah I was lucky enough to grab him and I think the fifth or sixth round I kind of jumped up to grab him there was a couple other Canucks that you know people were kind of jumping up to grab so I was like well you know we want to at least have one Canuck on our on our team representing the Canucks speakeasy so I went with with Prince Charming himself <laughs> nice well that leads in nicely to where we're going to start but before that you just give a couple plugs here you can follow the podcast at Canucks speak and you can follow myself at pete underscore gas and that's of course on the twitter machine give me a follow on twitter at doug Venn. and as always we're putting together this ever-growing outro playlist on spotify it's the canucks speakeasy outro playlist make sure you give that a follow as well and check out some of the funky jams that are on there and there'll be another one added today I think I'm still in preseason form. I had to actually just go on Twitter and check that I got my, my handle right there. It hasn't hasn't quite kicked in yet. So this is still exhibition season over here at the Canucks Speakeasy. And I'm, I'm sure that we'll have some more blunders as the episode goes on. But let's get back to Brock Besser and let's get back to training camp because thank God we actually have real hockey to talk about. It's so nice going online and you can just see articles all across the board all you know from Canucks Army to to Twitter to Reddit just everyone's putting out Canucks content again with real hockey on the ice um, one of the things that's jumped out to me is that the lotto line is being together for two days and I think that's a very promising sign I would love to see that um, how do you feel about that uh, and what you've seen so far from the lotto line yeah I, I think the I want to see the lotto line uh, heading into the season. Uh, they have good chemistry. They've proven that they play well together. And because it's such a short and condensed season, every game counts. And you need to get as many wins as you can early. So instead of trying to, you know, play around with line juggling, you know, let's get a line that we know has chemistry and has played together and produced together. 
The other thing, too, is there's no preseason games. You're literally jumping right into the season. So you don't, you know, a guy like Green doesn't even have time to tinker with his lines to just kind of see different looks. So it makes sense to me. I think the big question coming out of camp is going to be who's going to be the other winger on the Horvat line. For sure. And, and you know, I, that, I was going to say that as well with I think it's kind of a lock that Pearson is going to be on the one side just because of that, because you are trying to build chemistry there. They've been using Niels Hoglander there, and he hasn't looked out of place. Yeah, I mean, Hoglander has looked like he belongs, and, you know, he's in theory, ready to take the step and jump into the NHL right away. Uh, he's he's a small, feisty guy, but he's really hard on the puck. He wins board battles, uh, and he's super skilled. You know, he has great stick handling ability, and he's just got a you know a nose for the puck, so to speak. And I I really do think he has a chance to make the team out of the gate. And there's a strong chance, depending on how he continues to fare at training camp, that he could be on that second line with Horvat. And I would love to see that. I think that'd be great. I know Jim Benning did a radio hit, or it wasn't a radio hit. I believe he was interviewed um, at in one of the intermissions during the Canada game last night. Uh, also, we are recording this before the gold medal game tonight. Uh, so we probably won't be able to talk about uh, Canada winning the gold. Um, anyways... Um, and Jim Benning was raving about Hoglander. I know it was only day two, or maybe it was only day one actually on the ice, but uh, Benning was raving about how how good Hoglander looked uh, early on in training camp. Yeah, and, and from what I've seen, uh, I I totally agree. I know our buddy Chris Faber's been watching him pretty close in the arena and been posting some great videos. And from what I've seen, he's got the pace. It looks like he can hold his own out there. And he, he could be a very pleasant surprise. I know a lot of people going into camp were thinking that Jake Vertanen might get a shot riding alongside Miller and Petey, which, uh, again, I'm not against either. Um, I, I would like to see the lotto line, though. Um, but if Hogs does work into that role, it, it pushes Jake down into a third-line role, which, again, could be an interesting scenario if you're putting him with Gaudette, who, as you know, is a guy that I'm really intrigued to watch this year, and someone on the other side, maybe an Antoine Roussel, I don't know, or maybe a Zach McEwen. I mean, that could be a really interesting line, too, is if you're putting McEwen, Gaudette, and Vertanen together, could we finally talk about a top nine? I mean, there's a lot of what-ifs with that, but... Geez, you know, you know how I feel about talking about a top six versus talking about a top nine. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been hard on Vertanen, and I, oh, I, I, one of the reasons I've been hard on him is because I expect more out of the guy, right? Uh, that being said, it sounds like he's come to training camp in shape. He looks really good. Uh, if he makes, you know, if he ends up being on Horvat's line or even the top line with Petey and Miller, uh, day one of the season, I'm okay with that. That means he would have earned that spot. The nice thing about Hoglander, I think, is I don't think he, you, in order for him to be successful in the NHL, he has to play in the top six. I think he's the type of player that he's just like a, almost like a, a pest who has this never ending motor, almost like the Energizer Bunny. And he can just keep going and going and going, and he can make plays on the third line, the second line. So I think as long as he's still playing in that top nine, uh, I think Hoglander could be successful and ha- be an everyday NHLer heading into this season. Vertanen, same thing though. You know, Vertanen does have speed. He does have size. I would love to see a line of Gaudet, McEwen, and Vertanen to see what that looks like. I think one of the issues that a lot of people, well, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but the coaching staff might have is how would that line fare defensively? I think that is a line that you might worry about on the defensive end of things, but they should be a physical, fast line that, you know, should be able to get the puck in deep and win board battles. Yeah, and we know Greener loves the the defensive aspect of his game, and that's uh, what's cost some guys like Nikolai Goldobin uh, is one that comes to mind. It uh, really cost him his time because uh, he Green never felt that he quite had the defensive side of the game. Um, and... There is some flexibility for that to happen. I do think that the Canucks are going to explore putting some of these veterans into taxi squad modes here as well. I mean, you have this taxi squad. There's going to be, if you were to do that, like this is all just hypothetical. Let's just say, you know, we have the lotto line. Let's say we have Hogs play with with Horvat and Pearson. Let's say we have that kids line that we both kind of find exciting as a third line. You're now looking at a fourth line, which is like some combination. Let's just say Brandon Sutter, uh, Jay Beagle and 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 Tyler Mott, you know, like just just whatever, just chuck those guys in there. Now all of a sudden you have extra players of like Roussel, uh, Louis Erickson, Sven Berici, um, all these guys that you can move into more of like a, a practice squad 
or taxi squad, sorry, rotation. And there is some options there to kind of help the team out. And I think it also would give Green a little bit more faith in being able to start some of these young guys. And especially as the season goes on, where you're looking at maybe a pod Colson also eventually coming over as well. But you'd still have these guys in the fold. They still need to clear waivers. But I think waivers as well is going to be a tricky situation with the border this year. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Uh, you also got a guy like Jace Howerluck, who uh, he'll be yeah. vying for one of those you know bottom six roles as well in the team. It's going to be interesting. I, I, am, I am wondering... How, what decisions the Canucks are going to make is in regards to their taxi squad. You know, would they send a guy like Louis Erickson down to Utica? Who knows? Like, they'd save a little bit of money on him. Um, it's going to be interesting how they construct that. I am worried. I mentioned this last podcast as well. I am worried about having young guys on the taxi squad that aren't playing. I would rather a young guy go down to Utica, play games, and actually, you know, develop their their game as opposed to just sit in the press box. Well, yeah, and there's a few guys that instantly jump to mind uh, like that. Like William Lockwood, Jonah Gadjevich, and Mark Michaelis are three guys that come to mind right now um, as guys who I think are long shots to make the team, but I would rather they go to Utica, which we're, we're sharing with the Blues this year. Uh, I would rather they were to go down there and, and play a bit more as opposed to sitting on the taxi squad. And that's why I think it makes a little bit more sense. I think Howard Luck is another guy who uh, would be a good fit for to stay up because he has NHL experience and uh, brings a little something. Um, from what I understand as well, the taxi squad provides the same cap relief as sending people to Utica. So if you send uh, Erickson onto the taxi squad, still has clear waivers, but instead of going to Utica, uh, it's just uh, he goes into this imaginary bubble, which is good for veteran players because they don't have to go down to Utica. They don't have to worry so much about the playing time that we want to see with some of these younger guys as well. Like Lucas Yasik is another guy who's going to be coming into camp here eventually, it sounds like. Um, but for guys like that, I think it's a perfect spot for them. I mean, for a guy like Sven Berici, you could, if you want, if he has a good camp, you could keep him around in that capacity. Um, if you want to do something, like I said, make yourself, maybe Antoine Roussel doesn't show up. You could put him into... Uh, the taxi squad and you know the worst case which could be a best case as well is that someone claims them and then that salary is off the books otherwise it goes and you get that 1.1 million cap relief um, which if young guys are stealing the job all of a sudden that gives the Canucks a lot more flexibility heading into the season and then I guess if you call them back up do they have to clear waivers again or only clear waivers to get put onto the taxi squad it's the same as uh sending a guy up or down they only clear waivers to go down okay so uh, from what I understand, I don't think there's any re-entry waivers. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, just to go down. I mean, this is still new, and I'm still just uh, kind of learning it. But from what I understand, it works the exact same as in- instead of sending a guy to the farm, you send him to this taxi squad, and then they still are with the team, and you have to have at least one goalie on there. So there is the third goalie spot, which, again, like, do you do that with Michael DiPietro? Uh, is, is he going to spend the season as a third goalie. And, and in his case, I'm not totally against that because it's either him or Jake Keeley uh, would be the third goalie. And I think DiPietro could get a lot spending time with the big club, even just in practices and working with Ian Clark. I think there's going to be a strong argument to be made for Michael DiPietro to hang up and be the number three goalie. Yeah, he is the one guy. And again, you know, you still want him to get game action, but if he is participating in practice and he's getting used to NHL shooters because that's usually one of the big things one of the big discrepancies between the AHL player game for goalies I think anyways in the NHL game for goalies is just the caliber of shooters you're facing night in night out in the AHL in comparison to the NHL so if you're you know he he would still be practicing because the taxi squad can still practice with the regular roster right they're still going to be practicing every day with the team I would assume so I don't know I believe so. I believe the whole concept of it is that they're part of the bubble, right? Yeah. So, and, and I think I think they'd have to. You can't just have these guys not skating, right? It's just like, oh, you're on the practice squad. What do you do? You just go into a gym on separate times? Like, that doesn't really make sense. Like, these guys need to skate. And as I'm talking here, uh, Finland just won the bronze medal. Yeah, unfortunately, Pod Colson and the Russians uh, finished fourth in the tournament. Um, but I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later in more detail. Yes, I'm just easily distracted uh, here just uh, just by shiny objects and, and hockey. Um, but 
Yeah, for, it's. I'm sure they can. They have to, especially if it's a third goalie, and especially if you're talking about uh, a young goalie like Mikey DiPietro. I mean, they they have to be able to practice with the team. So I'm going to go with the assumption that that just is the most logical sense. But again, it, it's it's a weird thing that they have to do this year. But especially with the border closed, I mean, once guys go down to Utica, that's more than likely that's that's where they're going to play for the year is, is with the Utica Comets. Yeah, DiPietro, out of all the young guys, he would be the one guy I would be okay with staying on the taxi squad, getting those uh, reps in with NHL shooters and getting used to kind of the speed of the game uh, and working with Ian Clark, like you said. Uh, I think, you know, Holpe only signed a two-year deal, so I guess the idea would be, depending on, you know, how Demko develops over the next couple of years, DiPietro's, you know, setting up to be the backup to Demko in the next couple of years. And who knows, uh, Holpe could also be taken in the expansion draft by the Kraken uh, in the summer as well. That's a possibility. Yeah, very true. I mean, it's it's uh, no secret that Demko's going to be the goalie that's protected and Holtby's going to be exposed and, you know, a reasonable cap hit, 4.3 million. Maybe Seattle goes that way. Maybe Holtby has a standout year and maybe Canucks fans will all of a sudden be crying over losing Holtby. But, uh, I mean, one thing that has become apparent in Vancouver ever since the goalie graveyard era is Luongo and his time here really ushered in a steady stream of productive goalies. Uh, Ian Clark has done a great job with them. So if if Holtby is only a one-and-done season here, I mean, it would be good to have DiPietro ready to rush, not rush, but move into the NHL faster than a Corey Schneider or a Thatcher Demko did. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I completely agree. One thing that is going to be interesting with this taxi squad and how the roster unfolds, I think I think the blue line is really interesting to watch here. I mean, Jack Rathbone has had a strong camp so far. Ole Yolevi has looked good. Nate Schmidt, I know a guy before we started recording, that was a guy that you were really uh, excited about. So maybe let's uh, let's talk about Nate Schmidt a little bit more. Um, you know, I think we've seen the, the clips of him and the whoop whoops and the outlet pass and jump in the rush. Um, it brings a different element to the this team, doesn't he? Yeah, he really seems to have a great, you know, outlet pass. And I know originally I think a lot of people thought that Schmidt and Hughes would play, play together. But actually, it, it probably makes more sense that you split that pairing up and you kind of spread the wealth around with the offensive and capabilities and the outlet passes. But uh, Schmidt, to me, by all accounts, him and Hoglander have kind of been the two early standouts in camp. Um, I think Schmidt, he just seems to have that kind of infectious personality. He's just like this big, boisterous, fun-loving guy, and everyone early on just seems to really love him. And Holtby and Schmidt know each other from their time in Washington together. So, you know, that's kind of nice that they both know each other heading into camp. And Jay Beagle as well. And and you look at those three guys and those personalities, um, they're they're pretty interesting characters. I mean, they seem pretty fun-loving, and I think there's going to be a good bond there that comes from that Capitals team as well and, and knowing what it takes to win that I think is going to be very infectious with with the youth as well. But yeah, I, I agree. I think Nate Schmidt brings something a little different. Um, and I I'm also agree that I don't think that Hughes is necessarily the right partner. I never did. I thought that uh, they should spread out and Hughes works best with more of a stay-at-home defenseman. And that's going to be interesting to see as well with uh, the new body that isn't even at camp yet and in Travis Hamanick as well. And maybe that's the right partner for Hughes, but we don't know that yet. Yeah, Travis Hamanick's obviously uh, most Canucks fans already know this, but he signed a PTO, um, but he's got a quarantine for a week prior to being able to join the rest of the team. Uh, I think that's an interesting move by the Canucks. Uh, I look, it's it, it costs you nothing. You're probably going to get him for a one year deal at one million or maybe one point two five or something like that. I know a lot of people are down on Hamonic. He didn't have a great year last year in Calgary. Totally understandable. He was seemingly battling injuries. I believe his last game played last year was sometime in February against the Canucks. And he left that game with an upper body injury, and he didn't play again. And he opt—he was one of the first players to opt out of the return to play uh, in July. So, you know, maybe the extra time off has been good for Hamannick. Maybe his body needed to be, you know, needed that extra rest. He's only 29 years old, um, but he's played some heavy minutes in his career. And I look at how much Chris Tanev looked rejuvenated last year playing with Quinn Hughes. 
perhaps the same thing can be said to about Travis Hamannick heading into this year. You know, maybe Hughes can really help rejuvenate Hamannick's career and just because Hughes is so dynamic on the ice and he can do so much with the puck, that kind of dumbs down what Hamannick is needs to do on the ice and he doesn't have to press the pace as much or has to take on as much offensive reliability and he can just kind of focus more on the defensive side of things. So I am really interested to see if we see a, a I'm not going to say a big uptick, but a, a decent uptick in Hamannick's play this year and compared to last year. I, I think so. I mean, uh, there's, there's certainly signs that Hamannick was injured, but I still think he... I'll get this stat wrong so we can put this into the this is still preseason. Um, but he, I think he was second most minutes on five on five ice time for the Flames last year. I mean, he did play minutes um, and I, he was banged up. Now, is he regressing? Well, I mean, yeah, he's he's 30 years old right now and uh, he's getting older, but he's still got good years in him. Let's let's not forget that it was a big deal when he went from the Islanders to Calgary. I know a lot of people in this market were just like, oh, geez, look at uh, Calgary's loading up here. And and I mean, they had uh, they had a pretty formidable blue line with, with him there. So I think there's something to be said for Hamnick. I, I think the deal is going to be closer to a million. I know you said 1.25. I think it'll be right around a million, if not maybe even just below, just because of what the market's dictating. He wants to be in Western Canada. I think it's a good fit for him. Um, and I think, I mean, we don't know yet, but I think he could be uh, the right partner for Quinn Hughes. The other guy to, I think could be is Tyler Myers, but there is an element of risk to that. I'd kind of like to see Myers play with Edler. Uh, I'd like to see Schmidt play with Yolevi, and I'd like to see uh, Hughes play with Hamannick. I, I think that's how I would like to see uh, the, the starting lineup in Edmonton. Yeah, I, I actually think that those are really solid defensive pairings. Um, you definitely want to kind of protect Yulevi, I think, if he is going to be penciled in as a game one starter for the Canucks. So, uh, yeah, I'd rather him play with a guy maybe like Schmidt as opposed to Tyler Myers, who I think Myers was better than what a lot of Canucks fans thought heading into last year. Was he as good as the what the positive fans thought? No, but I don't think he was as terrible as what some of the negative naysayers of Myers was. Uh, is the contract still a bit of an albatross? Yeah, you know, it was it's going to only get worse as the years go on. But yeah, I am. I, I like that pairing that you came up with there. I am interested to see if uh, Rathbone jumps ahead of you, Levy. Uh, I know Rathbone, there's been a lot of people praising what how Rathbone's looked the first couple of days in a training camp as well. I think by all accounts, the Canucks want to give Levy a fair shot and a fair shake. He seems like a player to me that takes a bit of time to kind of get going to get his game up to par but then when he does get focused and he's kind of dialed in he he seems like he still has some potential to be a top four defenseman in the league in the NHL I should say so for me Tyler Myers um you know going to games back when we could go to games uh he he always seemed like a bit of an enigma to me there were just games where you're like wow like Tyler Myers he's big he can shoot he's got it all going on and then there's other games where he's just like, just makes just a terrible outlet pass or just completely has a guy go around him. It just seemed like he's, you know, one or the other. You're never quite sure what you get with him. And and that's kind of my reluctance to pair him with uh, either, uh, well, any of the young guys, really, whether it's Rathbone, Yulevi, or Hughes. I think that from what I remember last year, I thought Tyler Myers in his times playing with Edler, I thought that was a really solid pairing. Um, it all of a sudden Myers is now no longer the, the stay at home body. It's, it's Edler. Um, and both of them can play both ends, you know, both are, you know, maybe 25, 30 point defensemen, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit North of that in a normal season, if you get lucky, but it allowed Myers to kind of move around a bit more and, and not focus as much on the defensive aspect. And that's kind of what I take away with Tyler Myers is if you want him to be that stay at home guy, it's not going to work out. He's got the big body to be a stay at home, but that's just not the way he plays. But if you put him with more of an Edler, all of a sudden you have those two of your veteran presences there. It gives you kind of a stable pairing. And then you can let the, the Hughes combo and the Schmidt combo go out there more at the top two lines in Rome. And the Myers Edler is more of a, a shutdown pairing. And I can see that working better. 
Yeah, uh, I I think there'll be some interesting defense pairings uh, throughout the course of the season. I know some people thought that maybe you put Myers and Hughes together. Uh, That might give a little bit more stability to Myers' defensive game as well. Uh, I am really excited that we're talking about real hockey, though, Pete. Like, man. man, I I hear you. And and it's it's so nice uh, as well that we're seeing this procession of kids uh, continue, right? Like, I mean, we've had three straight Calder nominees in there, one winner. And there's going to be more kids this year to talk about. Like Demko's going to get his first season with the team. You're looking at Ulevi, and I would say it's most likely that Ulevi and Rathbone stay up just from early camp uh, predictions and just what we're seeing. I think it's it's quite likely, especially when you can tuck guys like Jordy Ben and maybe Jalen Chatfield into the, the practice squad. Um, it does get interesting on the blue line with what you do with the practice squad because I think there's going to maybe be one rookie defenseman, and right now my my guess would be Jalen Chatfield, who sneaks in and stays on with as uh, uh, the taxi squad. Um, but yeah, and then also up front, I mean, man, if Hoglander makes a team, geez, that's, uh, I know a lot of Canucks fans have been calling for that. I've been cautiously optimistic, but you know, two days of camp, he certainly looks like he could be here to stay. And, and that's really exciting. And then of course, Pod Coles, and when he comes over that, that's exciting as well. And yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's just nice again. It, it's, it, it, I know we talked about this before and we, we took our little break from recording there. But hockey just seemed so far from mind um, after that weird season. And then when October rolled around and, you know, it's, it, it just wasn't, wasn't the same. And you just kind of all of a sudden you're into winter without hockey. And now all of a sudden it's all coming back. I mean, we're going to release this episode tomorrow and then it's a week until hockey. Yeah, it felt really long when we were waiting for this moment to arrive. And now that it's here... It feels like yesterday that the Canucks were eliminated by Vegas. Uh, I'm really interested to see how this team is constructed as well because I I wouldn't be surprised if they do have a couple of young players on the taxi squad that are waiver exempt. Just to be able to call them up and down and not have to worry about that. Uh, Like a guy like Hoglender could be one of them. Rathbone would be one of them. Uh, It's going to be interesting. I I believe Chatfield's played uh, two years now, isn't it, in professional hockey, so he would have to clear waivers. Not that I think anyone's going to pick Chatfield up, but just to have that kind of easy uh, transition to be able to call a player up because of injuries. That's the other thing that's going to happen too. Because we're playing such a condensed schedule, I mean, pretty much every team's playing every second night. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have groin strains and, you know, hamstring or hamstring pulls and all that stuff. So you're going to have guys being called up from the taxi squad, I think with some regularity. And I do think a guy like Hoglander playing half a season already in the SHL He's got a leg up on a lot of these guys. He's better prepared heading into this training camp because he's got fresher legs. He's been on the ice. And that's why I think he's been, you know, I, I, I do think he's a very skilled player, but I think that's why he looks so good right now is the fact that he has been playing actual games in the last couple of months here. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, the fact that there's no preseason uh, as well, I think gives Hoglander a huge jump and. I again, I think if he plays like this, he will be staying up with the team in some capacity. And and you know some of those guys I mentioned before that I think are long shots to make the team. It'd be better for them to go to Utica and and get some game time. But Hoglander's been playing pro hockey now uh, against men for a couple of years. I mean, he's twenty years old. He looks like he can hold his own. I mean, he's a guy who. I think is going to stay up in some capacity now. And I, again, I I wasn't sure exactly how it would translate, but I, I think he will. And there is flexibility. I just don't see waivers. I, I don't see GMs really going into the waiver route uh, this year, especially with teams in Canada claiming guys off waivers. Maybe they, a U.S. team would claim it, but I don't know, this year and bubble life and everything else, um, I just see teams being more reluctant to use Got grab guys off waivers. I think it could also, there may just be this unspokenness between GMs that don't want to do it unless you're completely in a bind. But I, I think that gives you, it's like an extended roster. And so why not put some of these, you have the ability to tuck some of these guys in there all of a sudden. So as much as the flat cap hurts the Canucks, I think there's a chance that this taxi squad for a team like Vancouver could actually be beneficial. 
Yeah, and you know, it's a, it's an interesting way to kind of uh, hide some money if, like you said, you kind of get the same cap relief as you would to send a player down to Utica. But, you know, a guy like Louis Erickson, who obviously is the face of bad contracts and Canucks vitriol, vitriol, uh, hard to say that word for me. Anyways. It's pre it's preseason. You're allowed. It is. It is. Um, but, you know, if you can dump him on the taxi squad, you know, you kind of save him the embarrassment of actually going down to Utica and riding the bus, uh, which is, you know, mm-hmm. good faith, I guess, for the Canucks as well. And who knows? Like, I mean, when you look at, I, I believe it was Travis Green today, it was either today or yesterday, he made a comment about Brandon Sutter and how he actually likes Sutter better at the center ice position, he feels like he he skates better and he's just better suited to play that position. Well, okay, looking down the middle now, where does Godet factor in? Does Godet get moved to the wing? Because you got to assume Sutter's going to be either your fourth or your third line center, and then you got Beagle, who's probably going to be your fourth line center. So where does that put Godet in the grand scheme of things? Uh, I prefer Godet playing center. I know this was a hot button topic last year, heading into the season as well. Um, but just seeing uh, Green's comments today, it is interesting that he's kind of already decided to pencil Sutter into one of the center ice positions. Uh, this conversation feels a little bit deja vu, doesn't it? I feel like we, we've uh, we've had this before. And there's a lot of that deja vu with the forward core, which is why I'd be excited to see a guy like Hoglander jump in there just to mix it up because. Really, it's the same forward core as last camp for the most part on the pro level. I mean, we acquired Toffoli during the year, and of course, that's the the major loss uh, is Tyler Toffoli. But it, it's for the most part, it's the same core, and that 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 was what a lot of people had trouble with when uh, Beagle was brought into. It's like, well, we already have Sutter. Um, why do we need Beagle? And I think Sutter was originally seen as the three C, uh, but he's never quite been able to grab that role. So. You know, maybe having, I, I'm not against having Sutter and Beagle on a fourth line role. I mean, it allows you to be more aggressive in the faceoff circle when you have two centers out there. It allows you to do some different things. They're both good faceoff men. Um, I mean, losing Manny Malholter, we'll see if we lose a little bit of that faceoff prowess we've had the last couple of years. I assume that we probably will. Um, but it, it does give you a little bit of that flexibility. I'm, I'm not against starting Gaudet in the the 3C just because I want to see more offense. And there's more offensive upside, although we haven't seen it yet from Gaudet. And I know I've said it before. This is for me. This is He's one of the most interesting guys to watch this year. Does he become a 3C or at least a top nine player who can score, even if it's on the wing? Or does he kind of suffer that Hobie Baker curse that we've seen other guys fall to before? Yeah, I've also heard Green talk about maybe trying to play Gaudet on the PK a little bit as well. Uh, which will be interesting. You know, I think if you can develop into a decent penalty killer, sometimes, you know, you see these high-end, you know, not that Gaudet was like a super high-end pick, but, you know, uh, he he's developed quite a bit from the time he was drafted to where he is now. Like you said, he won a Hobie Baker. Uh, he put up some pretty big points for Northeastern. So he, he has to develop his game in the NHL. I look at a guy who was one of my favorite players growing up for no real reason, but it was actually Alexander Dagg. I think it was just because he was the first rookie <laughs> to go first overall. I believe he was the first rookie to make a million-dollar contract. And I always liked Dagg, and obviously Dagg never really lived up to the hype and the billing that you know was put on him being the first overall pick to the Ottawa Senators. But Dagg eventually changed his game and actually became a really good two-way player. Another player who has developed into a really solid two-way player, former Canuck, is Michael Grabner. Uh, and he's a guy who is very high skilled, has, has speed to burn, has a great shot, and he's developed into a really good two-way player. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see that aspect slowly start to develop with Adam Gaudet heading into the season. And generally speaking, when you do have that offensive prowess that Gaudet does have, he just you know seems to not be able to score on a consistent basis. When you start adding that defensive... Uh, impact to the game you though the goals and the points start to to add up for you so i would like to see if that happens for godet heading into this year going back uh, since this is episode 58 i can say that about another former canuck robert cron number 58 another guy i've, I've referenced before he's a guy who pretty high scoring prospect but i uh, was ended up being used in the pk in various roles for the canucks Way back when, I always uh, I always liked that guy uh, for no apparent reason except that I think he had like a young guns 
hockey card or something that I liked back back in the day. Hey, I want to switch things over here, Doug, to uh, the World Juniors a bit. I know we've kind of alluded a couple times here. Pod Colson's name has come up, and we're watching, just watched uh, Finland win the bronze here. Um, but let's talk about the two Canucks over there, because... They both had impressive tournaments. It was really good to see. I know we only had two guys, and we had four guys last year. But both of them were named players of the tournament, one of the three players of the tournament for their teams. Um, and they were both crying after losses. I mean, they, they got – these guys want to play. They play hard. And they play similar games in some ways. Um, and they're kind of unique prospects to have in their system. Um you can start with either one, Doug, um, but maybe just give me some thoughts on yeah, Pod Colson and Cosmar. Uh, I'll start with Cosmar because, you know, I, I didn't have high expectations uh, for Cosmar heading into the World Juniors. I'm not saying that I didn't think, you know, he wouldn't equate himself as a decent prospect, but he really kind of, I don't think a lot of Canucks fans realize this, at least I didn't, that he seems to be a bit of a pest. And, you know, maybe his... Uh, gateway to becoming an everyday NHL player is to be that kind of pesty player a la Anessa Tikkanen or you know obviously an Alex Burroughs is another guy that comes to mind I was really impressed with him and just his his overall play and how he got under his opponent's skins and he also has a pretty decent shot he had a few goals during the tournament and he uh he definitely impressed me um and then Pod Colson you know like I think people had maybe unrealistic expectations of Pod Colson dominating the tournament. I, he definitely looked dominant at times, but you know I don't think Pod Colson's the kind of guy that's going to you know score 15 points in this kind of tournament like we're seeing Trevor Zegras uh, put up right now. Obviously, you know the Ducks took him one pick ahead of the Canucks, and I think by all accounts Zegras would have been the player the Canucks would have drafted. Um, but you know. It is what it is. I was still impressed with Pod Colson. The leadership he showed, uh, the way he can drive to the net, uh, his play along the boards. I, I think he's going to be one hell of a player for the Canucks. And I'd love, absolutely love to see Pod Colson on a line with Horvat in the future. I look at a line of like maybe you get Horvat, Hoglander, and Pod Colson. Uh, I believe. Tanner Pearson's a free agent at the end of this season. Uh, so, you know, that in theory kind of makes sense. But I, yeah, a one two punch of Pod Colson and Horvat, that's going to be a real tough line to kind of uh, keep off the puck. I think they're going to be puck hounds all the way. I feel seen because of that Pod Colson dominating uh, comment you said, because I've been saying that forever about how I think Pod Colson is going to dominate. Maybe dominate wasn't the right word, but he played hard and he was noticeable and he was one of Russia's best players um he's not yeah he doesn't kind of put up that you know more than point a game although i believe he had four points in the tournament i think him and cosmer both had two goals but he just plays hard like he goes to all the areas he hits he's he the way he he's got this move that i've seen in a lot of uh, videos of him uh, before the tournament as well but one thing that I really find interesting about his game is the way he drives from the corner to the net along the goal line. And I'm sure you've seen this a bit too, but the way he kind of cuts in and goes towards the net, he's got this, uh, you know, I've been trying to think of a comparable player, like especially a Russian player, but I, I can't really. He's kind of got a, a unique game to him. Um, he kind of plays like a bit of a battering ram. And when you mention him and Horvat, I think, I think yeah, there could be some potential there for that to be a real pain in the butt line to, to play against um captain the russian team uh, i thought he had a great tournament uh i was i really enjoyed watching him play um i think uh, he's he's definitely looking like he will be in the canucks lineup at some point in 2021 not sure when that is um i know after april 30th though he is able to talk to the canucks so we'll we'll see what that does and we'll see what the rules with bringing players over from Europe are then what the quarantine rules are and but I do think that uh, we can expect to see him at some point yeah I mean the other thing that I think we really need to praise Pod Colson on is just his leadership there was uh, the game against Canada where they were shelled five nothing uh the, you know you saw him being very vocal to the team on the bench and you know and some of their like you know pre face-off huddles there uh even tonight uh during the game against Finland they obviously ended up losing he was vocal on the bench trying to, you know, rally the troops and get everyone going. And just that, you know, leadership at such a young age. And, you know, there's a reason why Igor Larionov put the C on this kid because, you know, he is, a, you know, 
that kind of player. He reminds me a lot of a Bo Horvat, almost like the winger version of a Bo Horvat, right? Um, and yeah, so I think Canucks fans should be very proud and very excited for what Pud Colson's going to be. Um, again, unfortunately, you know, the comparisons between him, Zegris, Krebs, and Caulfield are going to be there just because Zegris was taken one pick ahead of him. And then obviously the Canucks passed on guys like Caulfield and Krebs to pick Pod Colson. Uh, but I'm happy Pod Colson is a Canuck. I actually have, you know, one thing I always was a little bit annoyed with during the Jim Benning, or sorry, not the Jim Benning, the Mike Gillis era, is he never drafted a Russian player once. Uh, and there's been some incredible Russians that have played for this Canucks team over the years. Igor Larionov, obviously Pavel Bure, Alex McGilney, and... Um, uh, yeah, so for me, it just it's nice to see a Russian come back uh, into the fold. I thought when you were going and, I was just waiting for uh, Vladimir Krutov's name to come up there. But Vancouver does have a history with Russians. We were one of the first teams, remember, when the Russians defected with Larionov and Krutov. And, I mean, we got a shell of Krutov. I mean, a shell wrapped in, like, a, a big Mac wrapper. But uh, Larionov, I mean, ended up going to have uh, an exceptional career. And as we see now, he's coaching uh, the junior team. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Pavel Bure gave me a real love for Russian hockey and that was early in the Russian invasion in the NHL. Um, so it is nice to finally have, a, a really highly touted Russian prospect in the system. Uh, as far as Arvid Kosmar, um, same thing, real hard work level. He's a pest, um, more so than I, I knew that was his game in the SEL. Um, I haven't seen as many Kosmar clips. I mean, there's definitely a lot of people out there who've been posting great content. Um, oh, and just one other thing with pod calls. I'm going to give credit to Rick Dollywall for this because I'm pretty sure it was because a lot of things that go out there that are really good are his. Um, but he was saying that he was talking to a scout and how Pod Colson's level of complete Pete and giving a damn meter is very, very high. And that's another thing that Kosmar has too, is both of them compete. They play hard and it's nice, like we have, it's nice to have those skill prospects. We can have a whole bunch of skill prospects. If you don't have those guys who play hard around them and, and do the, a lot of those other aspects of the games, but do it with a high level of skating and speed and still have the skill in the game, you, your team is only going to go so far. And, you know, I think back to the Oilers and the way they drafted with the, when they had like 17 first overall picks then and just kind of how, how that didn't work out. You, you have to have some of these other players in there. So, I'm very excited to see what both of these kids do. I mean, Kosmar's still got a long way to go uh, to make the team, but uh, I think we're going to see more of Pod Coles in here in the future. Um, just kind of quickly, some quick hits around the NHL, Doug, before we get into the free power. Um, let's start over on the other island, uh, out east. Let's start with Matt Barzell um, and the situation going on there. Um, what, do you, what do you think, uh, what are you hearing at the latest with Barzell? Yeah, I mean, he continues to hold out in Islanders camp. I actually, during the little podcast draft that the, again, shout out to the boys at uh, Point Shot, at the Point Shot podcast, uh, I posed a question to everybody on the Zoom call. Uh, who says no in a one-for-one trade, Barzell for Dubois? That's a tough one, man. That's a pretty good trade. And I mean, uh, Dubois is, is another guy on our quick hit, so that ties in nicely. I mean, Dubois is signed, good cap hit. They both won out. Is that the, the right change i don't know um it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with both those guys i would i mean i'd probably rather have barzell but dubois stock is rising high yeah like his what he what he did this last year i mean barzell he set a very high bar his rookie year and you know he kind of carried it maybe slightly dropped it a little bit second year just cuz that that's bound to happen but Dubois stock is going up right now so that that's a tough one i don't know um uh it would really depend on your team need but i think both are excellent young centers um and i also think that this time in a year i don't think either one will be with their team well barzell i could see maybe getting a long-term contract and staying on the island of more than dubois dubois seems like he's ready to go he signed a short two-year bridge deal um i think he just didn't want to be a distraction to his team heading into the season and he didn't want to hold out 
There was rumors about line A for Dubois, but to me, it makes more sense. If you're going to trade a guy like Dubois, you want another center coming back, at least in my opinion. And you look at some of these one-for-one trades that have happened over the years. I mean, obviously, Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson comes to mind, Shea Weber for P.K. Subban, and then, of course, the most infamous one, Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. But I do like these, like, you know, not saying that Adam Larson is a superstar, um, but I do like these one-for-one kind of superstar trades. And yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, depending on what your team needs and the style of play you you want, you know, Dubois, Barzell, like, it's a win-win to me for whatever, if that trade was ever to happen. I'm not saying I've seen a rumor. It was just a question I posed to some of the guys and girls during the draft. And yeah, really interesting. And then, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the um, the Winnipeg Jets in there as well, and they they've got some situations going on. Patrick Line uh, again for like the nineteenth year in a row. We hear rumblings of Line and the Jets. Um, you also got uh, Jack Roslovich over there, who a uh, very skilled player who's just kind of lost in a bit of the depth there. Who wants to a bit more time? I think he's going to be a hard guy to move because I think it's uh, I think his value on the open market is not going to be as high as it could be. Um, but Winnipeg's another team that kind of gets into that mix of like, you know, we have this good player in line A and, and then they also have the, the Roslovic situation, but they've got to make some decisions there going forward too. So I, I think that's, uh, those are three teams to kind of watch and three players, four players to, to really watch as well. Um, another guy to watch uh, going over to St. Louis, uh, you finally see where Hoffman lands and uh who would have thought that a guy with his resume is ended up on a PTO who would have thought that Eklund was an unreliable source when he said that Hoffman was holding out for the Canucks to clear cap space <laughs> to sign uh <laughs> oh geez yeah that is interesting I, I I think uh Hoffman's probably just figuring he'll sign a one-year deal with the Blues uh, I don't know. Obviously, the Blues must need to free up cap space, or there might be someone they're putting on LTIR um, to make room for him. But, you know, Hoffman, I think, will be a decent addition. I, I guess the other one is Tarasenko. I don't know if Tarasenko will be ready to play heading into the season. So maybe once they can officially put Tarasenko's cap hit on LTIR, that'll free up some money, and then they can sign Hoffman to a one-year, maybe $6 million contract, or 5.5 is what I would guess. Um it's going to be interesting, though. But yeah, Hoffman, it just goes to show you the market this year literally just dropped with the pandemic and not having gate revenue and concession revenue and fans in the stadium. Uh, it's really changed the whole landscape of free agency heading into this year. Yeah, Tarasenko's out, uh, I think, at least a few more months. So that's where your cap relief is going to come from. And again, it's a similar situation in Vancouver with uh, with the Furland and, and Hamannick thing there but yeah i mean hoffman and his his issues is there seem to be obviously some other personal and off ice issues whether that is actually a factor i don't know um but uh, it's uh, it, i think it probably played in uh the last uh city we just uh, touch on briefly um we touched on it a bit last week too uh was is washington and uh that kind of started off a lot of this flurry of activity with them uh, with bringing in Chara and then Lundquist also uh, removing himself and possibly playing his last game now. So, um, you know, Chara going there. I'm, I'm still surprised that after the Bruins lost Krug that they didn't sign Chara, especially for what he went for. They just it sounds like the Bruins just completely wanted to walk away. And I, I'm a little bit surprised by that, especially with this year, like not keeping your captain around for like a, a league minimum deal, essentially. And then to have him go over to Washington, who you're now going to be playing like nine times this year. I, I, I'm very confused by that. And then on the, the Lundquist thing, that sucks, man. I mean, the guy's a Hall of Fame goalie, uh, open heart surgery coming up. That's not fun for anybody. He's probably played his last in the NHL, a, a very kind of sad way to go out um but he will go out with uh, only a playing game for the the rangers which uh, i think you know this is a little footnote to his career but uh, at the end of it he's a ranger for life so yeah just uh before we get into the free pour doug just some thoughts on what's going on in washington yeah it's gonna be strange to see char in a capitals jersey um that being said i did hear there were some rumblings uh between don sweeney uh, his side of and version of the way things occurred with the Chara negotiations and what Chara was saying. And it sounds like Sweeney 
and, and the Bruins had approached Char and said that he was going to be playing at a reduced role this year. I don't know if that meant he might be like, find himself on the taxi squad start of the season, and I don't think Char wanted that. I think he wanted to play. I think he still thinks he is an everyday NHLer, and I think that's why he decided to pivot and go to Washington for pretty much the league minimum. Um, so that's got to be a big blow to the Bruins, but it sounds like they were kind of already ready to transition away from Chara and to give some of their younger players more time on the blue line. Uh, and who knows me, you know, what Chara will bring to the Capitals. The Capitals are still only a few years away from winning that Stanley Cup. And uh, yeah, I think it's a great depth move for the Capitals. What you can get out of Chara still remains to be seen. He wasn't great last year for the Bruins. But he still has one hell of a shot, and he is a big body, and he's a mean son of a gun in front of the net. Capitals have a decent, deep blue line as well, even before Chara. So, I mean, they also got Brendan Dillon in there this year. There's Nick Jensen, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, and Justin Schultz, and that's behind the Carlson and Orloff uh, pairing that they got as well. So uh, they're, they have a, a very deep blue line, even with a 43-year-old Zidane Chara on that team as well. Um, one just last quick thought uh, uh, for me on Chara. My first Zidane Chara memory um, was when he was playing with the Islanders way back when. Uh, I was in New York, went to an Islanders game, and I just remember he was paired with Eric Brewer, and those two were just towers out there. And I think it was Chara's second year and Brewer's rookie year. And uh, I just remember how big he was then. And then at the Olympics, seeing him a couple of times as well, just outside of the rink, the guy, just a, a good, you, you know, you see people in a crowd and it's all scalps and char it's chin up, you know, it just, he's, he's a big guy, but uh, it's cool to see him keep on going. The same, just like, it's cool to see Yager going. There must be something in that central European water over there. Yeah, I had a couple of buddies who from PG, so they got to see Chara play in juniors for the PG Cougars. Now, I believe the Victoria Royals, and they used to say Chara just—they used to go just to watch him knock knock people out. He was just a giant. Or no, sorry, the Victoria Royals became the PG Cougars, and then the Chilliwack you know, Victoria. Bruins. The the Victoria Cougars became the Prince George Cougars. It still okay. hurts me. Okay, um, there you but, go. Yeah. Uh, the Victoria Royals were the New West Bruins, or sorry, the Chilliwack Bruins. Chilliwack which, Bruins. Uh, Brian Burke used to own that team as well, or he was a partner in their mm-hmm. ownership. Um, but anyways, my yeah, I have a bunch of buddies from PG, and they said they used to just go to the games and hope Charlie would get into a fight because he would literally just one-punch everybody, and they never thought he'd actually be an NHL player, win a Stanley Cup, captain the Bruins to a Stanley Cup, as much as it still hurts uh, Canucks fans to this day, and uh, more than likely uh, will be an NHL Hall of Famer. Yeah, notice how my Chara memories of him as an Islander and and not a Bruin. Um, Let's get into the free pour. Let's do it. So it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And unfortunately, to end 2020, we had some sad news in the music world. One of my favorite hip-hop artists of all time, Daniel Daniel Dumoulin or Daniel Dumil uh, referenced it in one of his great songs as his government name. He was originally known uh, in the rap game as Zev Love X with the group KMD and kind of got pushed out to the masses by an old school uh, group called Third Base with the song Gas Face. And KMD released two albums. Uh, their second album called Black Bastards was actually shelved because of the artwork on it and his brother actually passed away at 19 tragically was hit by a car and daniel kind of foiled around a little bit and kind of walked away from the music industry after their second record as kmd was shelved and he re-emerged in his second act as mf doom in the early 2000s and i think his influence on the underground hip-hop scene is very similar to, I think, what Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul had in the late 80s, early 90s. And he really kind of opened the floodgates to a lot of these kind of young rappers rapping about kind of nonsensical things like food and comic books. And, you know, were at that era when he first came out, people were just rapping about how big their chain was and how many girls they had on the side and what kind of car they were driving. And 
yeah, uh, he made some incredible albums as MF Doom. Uh, Mad Villainy is still, in my opinion, one of the top five hip-hop albums of all time. Uh, Mad Lib and him collabed on that. Mm Food is also an incredible album. That year, he released both Mm Food and Mad Villain, which is mind-boggling that those two albums were released the same year. Uh, according to his wife, he passed away on Halloween, so we actually didn't hear the news of his passing t- until two months later. Uh, and yeah, man, just really sad. Uh, the guy uh, was originally born in the UK in London and then grew up in Queens. And then he went to London to play a couple of shows back, I want to say, in 2010. And the US government wouldn't let him back in. I don't know why. And so he'd been living in London kind of an incognito for the last 10 years or so. Um, but anyways, uh, a legend in the hip-hop game, in my opinion, and one of the greatest to ever do it, MF Doom, Daniel Dumoulay. Rest in peace. Yeah, man. Um, I, we'll talk a little bit the, uh, more in the outro about this uh, as well, but um, that's all well said. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a crazy way to end the year. Uh, my free pour is... It is nothing quite as, as, as important as that. Um, I just wanted to, for the last time this year, mention what a shit show the NFC East is, what a shit show that was to end it as well. I mean, that, that whole Eagles-Washington game was just a mess down the stretch. Um, thank goodness that's over. I don't even want to talk about the NFC East too much, but I, I do think maybe the NFL has to look at something where, like, hey, if you're a division winner below 500. You, you shouldn't be able to jump up all the way into a top four spot because uh, we've seen it before, and my Seahawks did it once uh, as well. Um, I don't like that. I think uh, it's uh, it's something that should maybe get looked at with how they do that, that if you're below 500, you go into a wild card seating and it gives a wild card team a chance to, to jump up because the NFC West was a pretty good division this year. I don't, I don't know if that would bump the Rams into it, but I don't know, just something for the NFL to, to think about down the stretch. But... Hopefully, we only get another week with an NFC East team out there. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 58, the Robert Cron episode, just about in the books. Um, of course, we got to have some MF Doom here as, as the outro. Um, I just wanted to give you a couple more thoughts uh, on MF Doom as well. Um, uh, you're you're definitely more of the Doom fan. I, I love Doom, but you're like you're like next level Doom. I know you put them up there with like rappers that uh, 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 like I put up with like you know Q-Tip and, and Chuck D and and some of my favorites. You've got them on that pedestal and deservedly so. KMD for me as well. That was the first time I ever heard Doom, and I believe his brother was in KMD as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he he was the one that tragically got hit by a car. I think just after the second album was meant to be released and was shelved by the record label. Uh, yeah, it was his brother. He was 19 years old and was uh, killed. I believe in a hit and run, actually. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, I came into Doom. Well, I knew of KMD, but I kind of then found out about Doom again, the kind of the back way because of Madlib um, and uh, Quasimodo and, and that whole sort of, you know, weird kind of producer at end of the, the hip hop spectrum. And that's how I kind of found out about Doom. And then, the you know, the London to Long Island connection, that's something that resonates with me because my dad lives in London. My mom's from Long Island. Um, and uh, yeah, man, I just it's it's crazy it's uh, one of the more interesting writers uh, in terms of lyrics uh, like just you know spinning multiple meanings and prose and and one of the weirdest things that it came across uh, with with uh, with him is that he used to send impersonators at times in to do his shows uh, it wasn't even him and uh, he said that was just all part of like the creativity of the process yeah, I mean, he loved to be the villain, right? Like, and that was kind of like the worst thing. You pay money to see this guy and the guy doesn't even show up. Like, how more villain can you get? And you know what? The one thing, he was an incredible MC. Like, just the way he would rap and like the, the, the rhyming patterns he had was incredible. But the other thing is he was a very, very good producer. And this track you're hearing now is him on the production. This is, you know, there's there's not him rapping at all. This is straight doom production and you know that mm, food album referencing that again that's all his production on that album and uh he's a very underrated producer as well and one thing you should uh check out pete and anyone out there uh check out the special herbs volumes one through ten i believe they're all just his beats uh i know blair good friend of the show 
uh, Blair Breaks. Shout out to you, Blair. Uh, he uh, he got into some of the special herbs uh, volumes a few years back when he was still working with us. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, those rappers who can produce Q-Tip again, that's another guy who uh, was, is a fantastic producer. Produced uh, tracks on Nas' Illmatic album as well. I don't think people realize uh, uh, that too. But anyways, this is the Canucks uh, podcast. And MF Doom, we love you. R.I.P. Um, for the Canucks, we're good. we'll do another episode before uh, Wednesday. we got to do a final recap of training camp, so we'll drop another one next week. And really curious to see how the rest of this camp goes uh, i'm excited from what i've seen so far with uh, the new blood and you know i think a lot of us said the canucks are going to take a step back this year but you know maybe uh, maybe not you know i think a lot of the optimism in the city the last couple of days is very high again yeah i think it's all gonna honestly rely on the goaltending and uh what kind of goaltending the canucks get out of holpe and demko heading into this year but yeah seeing some of the fresh blood on the team like i like hoglander yolevi rathbone uh, obviously, uh, Nate Schmidt as well. Uh, it's it, it should be, regardless, it should be a very entertaining year. And I don't think the Canucks will miss the playoffs. I still think they're going to be a playoff team. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And uh, tonight, uh, by the time this is out, the game will be over. But let's uh, go Canada, go. Uh, that team, that's a stacked junior team. Uh, looking forward to this one. Uh, U.S. have a great team too, but this Canada team—it's—it's it's, uh, if they win gold, uh, I think it's going to go down as one of the best junior teams we've we've ever seen. Yeah, they're definitely going to be right up there with the 2005 World Junior Team as well. I think so. Right on. Well, on that note, go Canada, go, and looking forward to to getting into that game this evening. Uh, you can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Uh, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter as well at Canucks Speak. And I double checked my my Twitter handle is Pete underscore Gas. And this track MF Doom is going to be added onto our Spotify playlist. You can check that out. Canucks Speaky is the outro playlist. There's fifty uh, something jams on there now. It's 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 enough to cover a shift of work if you feel like some beats. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego. Just remember all caps when you spell the man name.